Developer community is centered around the idea of nurturing and amplifying community voices within a company, and the head of developer community is responsible for leading this effort. Today, we're joined by Kim Maida, head of developer relations and community at Gatsby. We'll discuss what her job entails, the ins and outs of developer advocacy, and advice for someone looking to get into this field. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Kendo UI is a top-quality commercial UI and data visualization component library for JavaScript developers. With dozens of professional UI components for Angular, React, Vue, and jQuery ready to use out of the box, you can quickly build polished, high-performance, responsive web apps with your technology of choice. At Kendo UI, we believe developer advocacy is an effective way to connect with developers. In fact, our Kendo React developer advocate, TJ Van Toll, recently did a webinar on creating financial dashboards in React and provided a number of tips and tricks for any developer building JavaScript apps at scale. To see what Kendo UI can do, as well as how we do developer advocacy, check out the webinar at progress.co slash devrel. That's P-R-G-R-E-S-S dot co slash D-E-V-R-E-L. Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this cool tool called AWS Amplify? Tell me about it. It's a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps. You get to use whichever framework or technology you want on the front end. That sounds cool. Will it help me get up and running with things like hosting? Yeah. Authentication? You betcha. Manage GraphQL? Totally. How about serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, file storage? Yes to everything! Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers, like yourself, Kelly, to be successful because you can use your existing skill set to build real-world, full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console also allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy to a globally available CDN with CI and CD built in. It's super cool. Where can I learn more? If you want to learn more about AWS Amplify, visit aws-amplify.github.io. So Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to get to talk with you more because we met at All Things Open in Raleigh last year, but we didn't get to talk too much, unfortunately. So I'm glad you're here to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe your career thus far and how you got to Gatsby? Sure. So I am the head of developer relations and community at Gatsby. Before I joined Gatsby, I was actually the head of developer relations at Auth0. And as far as just like sort of a little bit about me, I love to travel and I like to speak to technical audiences, but I also have a young family. So that means I like to do things like cook and draw and hang out with my family. And as sort of the transition from being sort of boots on the ground developer relations to leading those types of efforts, I've gotten to spend a little bit more time um, doing some of the sort of more personal family stuff that that I like. And of course, uh, the COVID-19 situation is influencing that as well, I guess. Absolutely. It's nice to hear, you know, a woman who's very, very successful in how you balance your your family life with your career and how it's not a stigma for you. And I love that. So could you tell us maybe a little bit more about like, what does it actually mean to be the head of developer relations and community? What do you do day to day? So in a general sense, I'm basically kind of like the key strategist for how a company interacts with the developers that use right now or could potentially use 
the product that the company produces. So this is going to differ depending on the company. There's always nuances, but I can talk a little bit about Gatsby specifically. Gatsby's core is open source. So developer relations is basically like this intrinsic philosophy at the entire company. So a lot of companies might have sort of an enterprise product, like a a SaaS product or something, and then they uh, want to sort of evangelize that product to people. But at Gatsby, because the core is open source, and then we do have the cloud offering also, the the entire company is kind of involved in the DevRel efforts. So it extends far beyond the DevRel team. So my role at Gatsby as sort of leading this effort is more organizational. It's kind of this mix of strategy and tactical because it's about activating and engaging the community, but also providing like a cohesive strategy and accountability and also a lot of support internally because there are so many folks at Gatsby who are involved in DevRel activities, but that's not like their full-time job or uh, they may not necessarily be in, in the DevRel team. My job is a lot of sort of coordinating what DevRel looks like across the company for anybody and everybody who wants to get involved. I think one of the most significant differences uh, that I've come into in joining Gatsby is that I'm not the face and voice of Gatsby to the developer community. As the head of DevRel, my job is more sort of strategic behind the scenes. I provide, I like to kind of say it as I design and engineer the vehicle that carries other people's voices forward. So I'm probably doing a lot less speaking and sort of being the the point person of like, oh, uh, you know, who do I think of when I think of Gatsby? It's, it's not me. And it shouldn't be me. It's my job to sort of put other people out there to be in, in those positions. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a departure from, from what a lot of people maybe think about DevRel. Like if you think about a, a developer advocate, you think it's, it's the person who uh, sort of represents the company to everybody. And it's the person whose face comes to mind when you think of the company. Uh, but that's that's actually sort of not not the situation when you're kind of in a head of or or lead position for like a DevRel team. I love the way that you explain your role. I think it's it's a very important uh, distinction as well when you start looking into more of like a, a management position when you're more managing the people as opposed to the projects. I mean, it, it definitely plays the same kind of role here in that. You're you're managing the people who are the face for for developer relations for developer advocacy. So I have a question: Is there a difference between DevRel and Dev advocacy? So I that's a super good question. I like to explain this as kind of looking at four components within developer relations. So basically, there's there's like developer evangelism, there's developer advocacy, there's developer experience, and then there's community. And essentially, they're not actually all the same thing, but they're all components of developer relations. So you have evangelism, which is basically sort of derived from the Greek word for sharing the good word, like preaching the gospel, so to speak. Um, You go out and share the good word about your product with developers. You say what the company's doing, and you provide information to developers to help them get the job done by using your product. 
And then advocacy is more along the lines of acting as the voice of the developer to the company. So you're representing the developer and their interests to the actual product and the people who are developing the product that we're offering to developers. So advocates help the community. They elevate the voices of the community, both publicly and inside the company. And then they bring that feedback into the product to make it a better product. Then there's developer experience. And DevX is kind of about cultivating and enhancing and supporting the user experience when the users are developers. So we want to provide a delightful experience for anybody who's using the the software product. They are developers, and this is sort of holistically developer experience. And then finally, I think you have community, which basically refers to the users of the software that you're providing. And this could be like people who are currently practitioners of it, or it could be prospective people. So people you might want to get involved in using the software, people you want to bring on board and include and sort of bring into the fold. And this, especially for Gatsby, might be people who are just learning to code, or it might be like super senior architects. Or it might be internal employees. There's a lot of, you know, dog fooding that goes on at companies like Gatsby and and similar. So anybody who basically like talks about, advocates, or provides feedback on the product is essentially a member of the community. Can you just quickly explain what dog fooding is for those who don't know what that means? Yes. So dog fooding is basically derived from eating your own dog food. It's when a company uses its own products. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was one of the most profound explanations that I've ever heard because I, <laughs> to be honest, I always got, like, I never knew what the difference was. And holy crap, you're well-spoken. I'm like, I mean, I knew you were well-spoken, but I'm just like even more impressed to hear that explanation. Just, oh my it gosh. So I I organized. Like like, it was so organized. Like I do these interviews and you're like, these are the four types. Let me define each of the four types. And I'm like, how do you just like do that out of your head? Yeah. Well, she didn't get to where she is today without, you know, we know she's smart. It was very impressive. I know. Well, thank you. I, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I'm basically super, super organized because if I don't, like, stay organized and, and stay on top of these things, I won't have any idea what's going on. So <laughs> I... Like my everyday both. life. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, like, defined and distilled these things very precisely um, like in the company documentation, in documentation at previous companies so that I can sort of wrap my own head around it. And then it helps me to help other people wrap their heads around it as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, that was very insightful. And I'm glad because honestly, I don't know if there's been I haven't seen any kind of content explaining the difference between the four. So I'm really happy that you were able to do that so concisely. Now I actually understand it. I'm curious for those listening and for myself, because I always thought developer advocacy would be something I'd be interested in. um, What skills vary between these four roles? What do you need to know to be successful or to get into these fields? But also, like, do I need to be a software engineer before, you know, moving into evangelism or advocacy? Okay, so that there was like a few questions there. So if I talk about (laughs) that of the the skills involved for the four roles. I think that for many of them, for advocacy, developer experience, and community, really, honestly, one of the biggest things is empathy. I I want to sort of emphasize that 
these particular facets of DevRel are really about being able to see things from other points of view, from the points of view of the users who are using the product, from the points of view who of people who might even be unhappy or upset or they don't understand what the project is doing or they don't understand how to get something to work or they're just curious and they don't have like a background on the things that you might be talking about. Evangelism's a little bit different because evangelism, you're basically going out and telling other people about stuff, whereas advocacy and developer experience and community are more about sort of shaping the community and taking the feedback and making something actionable out of it for your company. Um, But evangelism, empathy is important in the type of content that you craft, but um, basically if you are going out and sort of standing on a stage or, or on sort of a video and telling somebody how something works. There's, it's more of I'm talking to you or at you rather than with you. Um, mm. It's an important component of it, but it can't stand by itself. So I think the like overall empathy, being able to talk with people and understand their problems or concerns or the things that make them really happy. That's like super important too, because if a community really loves some specific thing, then you want to amplify that, right? You want to make sure that you're highlighting the things people are excited about and um, also being able to serve people who are not excited about other things. Right. It sounds a lot First of all, I love that answer because empathy is something we need to have in all aspects of software development because everything that we do impacts our users and users are just people. And one person this brings to mind is April Wenzel. She runs Compassionate Coding. It sounds like a lot of this has to do with compassion. Uh, We'll link April and Compassionate Coding down below in the show notes. Um, I'm curious, how would you actually build empathy into your content? Is this in regards to the language that we use to be accessible? Or is this maybe like defining acronyms or linking to the resources you mentioned? Is that what you're just mean by that? Yeah, from a technical perspective, yes, that absolutely. Um, but it's it's sort of more around like when you're communicating with people in person, like in conversation or something, or you're reaching out to developers to solicit their feedback on something, it is more sort of just about trying to see things from their point of view and then put yourself in their shoes and say, if I was having a really hard time with this, um, you know, how would I want to be treated? How would I want the company to interact with me so that they're not just like, oh, um, well, you should know that, so read this doc and go away or something like that. Mm. Um, But yes, it absolutely does include using inclusive language, basically doing things like when you're writing blog posts, if you don't say, and and this is a simple or this should be easy or something Ah. like that, Um, because you don't want to assume that about anybody. Like if I, if it's like just NPM install this and I have no idea what NPM is, then that's not simple for me. That's something that I've kind of found myself like catching myself doing as well. It's it's very it's very very easy to like jump into like is your think you're being like comforting by saying oh this is super easy don't worry about it and then it ends up being difficult for the other person and you don't know what their level of you know experiences for any of these things. So I I really love that you emphasize that point. Well, what is easy though? I mean, if we just think about exactly. what does that actually mean? It basically means you've done this before and you you know where to start with a problem. Um, it doesn't mean that it's um, going to 
like, I don't know, like, how do we define easy? I think that's the root of the question is like, oh, GitHub is easy to understand. Well, I struggled with Git and GitHub, which, by the way, are two separate things. And that took me a year to learn. Um, When people say things are easy, it's very demeaning and it's not very empathetic. Like, I love that you mentioned empathy is the first thing, because when you're creating content, when you're evangelizing, when you're advocating for people, we have to be very conscientious of the fact that easy means you have more experience with something and you know where to go to debug the problem or where to find the information, but not everyone else does. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody's also got their own struggles. Everybody's going through something that you don't know about. um, And that can influence how they act, how they present themselves, and just sort of being, recognizing that everybody has that um, is is something that I think is very important when you're just conducting communications with people and trying to understand their problems from their point of view. For sure. So I do want to loop back around because Emma asked 4 million questions at one go. Um, do you need to be a software engineer before you jump into one of these DevRel roles? That's also kind of a tricky question. I think that it sort of depends, right? It, it depends on the company that you're going to be doing DevRel for. And it depends on what their sort of overarching DevRel goals are. So if you're going to go to a company where uh, take, I'm going to use Auth0 as an example here. Auth0 is very, it's, an identity as a service company. So basically they are focused on providing authentication and authorization and identity expertise to people. And while you don't have to be like an identity expert to get hired and work there, it is sort of an expectation that you become an expert over the time that you're there. And you can't very easily go and help people answer questions and sort of go stand on stage and talk about a topic if you don't understand the topic yourself. I do think that it's totally possible to go into these roles not knowing anything about the technology specifics because a lot of it is about learning on the job. So part of the one of the best strategies that I'd found in learning something was trying to teach others about it. So if I need to be able to teach it, then my my learning of it is sort of escalated in a way where I distill it down to like, what do I absolutely need to know? What makes this an approachable thing for other people? How can I make it approachable for myself? And then how can I relay that to other people too? So I think that in most roles at, in sort of a, like if you're looking for a developer advocate position, you can be junior and learn on the job, and that that is totally fine. And in fact, it might even be ideal in many cases because then you're learning things fresh and you, you have a sort of easier uh, – I just use the word easier <laughs> – but you have a more comfortable time relaying that perspective to other people. Um, however, for some jobs, if you do need deep technical knowledge in order to answer questions and talk about it, it, it just helps to – be at least in the field um, of software engineering. But then there are other companies where that's not really sort of so intrinsic to the to the company itself. So it, honestly, I, it depends. Sounds like kind of a cop-out answer, but it does depend. And I think too, like it doesn't hurt, right? Like it helps. Um, it's 
I I don't like when people are like, oh, you have to do this to achieve. You you have to do X or be X to achieve Y. There's no one path. And to your point, it does depend. Um, but a lot of these jobs you can learn on the job. So I love that answer. I think that's great. And kind of leading into the next question, like if someone wants to become, you know, if someone wants to join the developer relations career field, what's your advice for someone who's looking to get into that for the first time? Honestly, I would say just put yourself out there. That's the first thing and sort of the biggest thing. Get comfortable with creating content on things that you're passionate about. Go and talk to people. You can like start giving talks and things like that at like local meetups or apply to conferences, but you don't necessarily have to start that way. I know that that's daunting for a lot of people. It was daunting for me when I started. Um, but you could like record a video. You can just help people in the community. You can, so again, like writing blog posts, it's like a really good one. Just being active on social media, looking for a Slack team where people are asking questions and, and just going in there and, and sort of talking to people and asking questions if you can. Um, this is, so <laughs> I was thinking about this a little while ago, and I realized I have a story that initially I I really thought this was off topic, but recently I realized that it's totally related to how I got into this field. And that was like, so when I was in college, I actually got my college degree in animal behavior and neurobiology. So it was nothing to do with uh, and anything related to software engineering at all. But um, I... I was taking physics and chemistry classes and there was this like online homework system basically where you logged in and there were questions that were asked of you and and they were always like sort of complicated multi-step questions where you had to figure out what the series of things you had to do to get to the answer. And everybody in any of these courses had the same structure of question, but their numbers were all different. So you couldn't just... There was a commenting system, but you couldn't just say like, oh, the answer is, you know, 25.3. But um, if you could figure out how to get to the answer, you could put in the comments, like, here's all of the steps to get to this answer. And here's like why each of this works. And I started doing that a lot. Um, I basically go through and I would figure it out. And then I would post the steps every week that they did this every week. And I would I would get like that hit of dopamine when people people would come and say thank you like this really helped me understand this or you know there there were even some cases where people would be like I'm not gonna do this until Kim <laughs> posts out into it but it it was really one of those things that like it wasn't about personal glory because nobody in the like the classes really knew who anybody else was by name and it was all online you don't even have a face or an icon or anything there, there's no personal glory in it but it was just about helping people to get to their own answer and I realized later like this is something that is really intrinsic in Devrel and being interested in Devrel so if you like to do that type of thing I think you've already got kind of a, a heads up on um getting into a field where where sort of the overarching goal is to help communities and build people up and then sort of translating that way of thinking into the content you produce and you can just do it on your own like anybody can 
uh, sign up for a Dev2 account, super like low barrier to entry where you don't have to go and build your own blog and then you don't have to worry about promoting it and things like that. So basically going going and, and starting to blog is really great. People can get YouTube channels for free. You can record a couple of videos just talking about things that you're passionate about. Um, they can even just be a couple of minutes. It's so funny because I see a lot of people who originally had foundations in the biology or the natural sciences migrate into engineering. I was one of those. I started biology and I realized pretty quickly I was horrible at it. Uh, but I do think to some extent it's because we have empathy to help other people from a biological perspective. Like I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be an OBGYN my whole life, which is really a strange thing as a child to want to be. (laughs) But I do think innately, like we have the sense of empathy and we realize, oh, this actually translates into software development as well. And that's why I personally believe, I don't think this is a fact, but I do think that there is a correlation between people who start out in like biology or the natural sciences migrating into engineering and you know they bring the sense of empathy it's really a wonderful thing yeah i see a lot of musicians too i've actually worked with a lot of music former musicians i was a professional musician growing up i was a professional trumpet player and by professional i mean i was paid i wasn't actually amazing but you know i went to the new york state honor band but i did actually think about a career in music therapy for a while i was not I wasn't good enough to actually make it work. And I think my dad would have had a coronary if I had actually switched into music as a profession because he's an engineer. So he wanted me to be an engineer. But yeah, we still have these like creative minds and empathetic minds and they all are slowly migrating into engineering. And I love it. I would love to know what your advice is for becoming a better developer advocate. So like, are there any tangible pieces? So we talked about content creation for people who perhaps are not already in developer relations, but for anyone who's already in developer relations, are there tangible things that you would maybe coach your DevRels on to be the best version of a developer uh, evangelist or like advocate? Yeah. So I won't repeat the the stuff about empathy again, because that's sort of like the baseline, but, and so the next, I want to say this somewhat delicately, but Um, As developer advocacy has grown in the tech community, there's also this kind of growing sense of hero worship or elitism that I have seen manifest a little bit, uh, especially for people who are sort of face and voice developer advocates. And honestly, I would try to encourage people not to get too like attached to that Because in my opinion, DevRel is about helping developers and communities and providing better products. And if you can focus on those things and provide value, then that's going to pay dividends not only to your company and community, but also to you. Hopefully you are one of those people who likes to help people for the sake of making things better um, rather than sort of being on the pedestal and, and having oh, I flew to, you know, X number of countries and spoke on X number of stages this year. Like while all of that is fun and great. I would love to see sort of the advocacy community move away from that a little bit and move more towards how can we elevate voices in the community, for example? How can we get other people onto the stage? How can we get other people's content out there? How can we sort of facilitate learning with the programs that we provide rather than being sort of this, you know, epic jet setter who's, you know, all all of the 
several emails are from this person. So they're now famous as being the, the representative of, of X company. Um, and I would love to see that sort of just go back into channeling support for community voices. I love that I completely answer. agree. So <laughs> much. I, because in all honesty, this is something I've thought about subconsciously, but I've never actually discussed this. And I mean, we touched on some things in our personal branding episode where we discussed how we created content and got followers. Uh, but I feel like people look at, you know, anyone on, let's say Twitter, for example, anyone on Twitter with a large following, they look at that and they look at, oh, I get to go to speak at conferences. And I'm not saying that I'm not privileged. I am privileged. I will be the first person to admit that. And I'm very grateful. But it also comes with some negatives, right? Like if you just think that you're going to get into developer relations or evangelism and fly to conferences and everything's going to be great and dandy and everyone's going to follow you and it's going to be wonderful. Um, just don't forget that there are also negatives to that. Um, it's the constant need to feel attached to your phone all the time. It's that takes a toll on your mental health. It's being able to accept constructive criticism that's sometimes just difficult to hear. Maybe it's just criticism. Um, it's having to be a little bit more careful with how you choose to express your opinions online because you're impacting so many more people. So there are a lot of uh, things that go along with evangelism and traveling to conferences, like you have to be okay being away from your family for long periods of time and and traveling across time zones and losing sleep. So don't get into developer relations for the things that you think are benefits. Get into it because you genuinely have a desire to help people to Kim to Kim's point. Yeah. A hundred percent. I I definitely I, I know it can be very tempting for a lot of people to say, well, I, I'm gonna use this as a springboard to to become famous, basically. Um but if you want to be really good at developer relations, if all you're thinking about is becoming famous, you're not going to end up being a good developer advocate um, in the ways that are meaningful. Relations is almost short for relationships, which is what you should be curating is relationships, not follower numbers. Like you shouldn't be so obsessed with the actual data of people following you versus how many relationships have you cultivated? How, how big is your network? Do you actually enjoy doing these things? Yes, I completely agree. So I'm curious. Uh, where do you see this field going in the like in the near future? Not not counting coronavirus. We'll get to that afterwards. But <laughs> right. just like in general terms, like where do you see this field going? I see it continuing to grow, probably by a lot. Again, I'm sort of pretending coronavirus at the moment. <laughs> coronavirus may actually have a huge impact on this, um, but I think we can talk about that in a, in a minute. Uh, as in general, as a field, I see it continuing to grow exponentially because it's already doing that. It's still relatively new as a field. But I, the thing that I also see and kind of hope for is a lot of expansion beyond metrics. So one of the things that's notorious about DevRel is that it's hard to measure. So you can you can have like vanity metrics, like how many people were physically present in the room when you stood on a stage and gave a talk. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't playing on their phone the whole time. It doesn't mean they were paying attention. It doesn't mean that they're going to engage with you or the product afterwards. So learning how to sort of track things like meaningful interactions is one of the big conversations around DevRel right now. And I see that getting refined a lot as the field grows, as more people get into it. And I, I from a personal standpoint, I really hope that sort of the elitism and, and drive for hero worship decreases as the the breadth of the field increases. I would love to see that too. I, I mean, just 
it could be something harm what you deem as harmless, like putting, you know, people with a bunch of Twitter followers, like putting their names on a T-shirt. Um, these kinds of things, while they seem harmless, actually do have negative implications in the sense that, you know, if you're not careful, we're lifting up um, voices that are all homogenous. They don't have accurate diversity representation, and this can be harmful to to the industry. I second that. I at the end of the day, we're all humans, and anyone who who I've gotten messages, it's like, oh, like I'm so excited you responded to my tweet. I'm like, I'm just a person. Like I, I think people forget that we're just people, and I and I would hope that as this industry grows again, uh, this hero worship diminishes. Yeah, and it's about like use leveraging that platform for the people who do have that platform. It's about leveraging that platform to elevate other people's voices who are sort of less homogenous, more diverse, increasing I inclusivity. Love that. I love that. Let's make it. What is the word? Conglomerate? No, that's not the right word. Uh, is that the right when all like you know what I mean? Not a conglomerate when uh when you have like different shapes and sizes of things. It's the opposite of homogenous. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No, I'm losing my English. The longer I live in Europe, the more English I lose. Um, in any case, it doesn't matter. This is not a vocabulary show. Um, my last question for you is, you know, we're living through a very terrible pandemic that's going to change the way that we work. And I'm, I'm just curious how that impacts your day to day. I've actually seen myself and also a lot of other people who I talk to often about this sort of thing get busier, not less busy, which is... Very interesting, actually, at the outset, because you you think of maybe jobs as advocates to as going out and speaking and things like that. And, and we can't do the in-person events anymore. So then what are you doing? But it's really been a lot about like conferences going virtual or they get canceled or rescheduled. But most of my job personally is centered around strategy and program building and removing blockers. And this type of thing has little to do with like going out and speaking. So for me, it hasn't changed significantly. Like I've actually had a lot more time to do that, which means I've gotten a lot busier doing that. And for other folks in the DevRel space, it's increased their workload in that virtual conferences and events like that, they require just as much prep as in-person events but they don't require the travel aspect. So the expectation from, you know, external pressures or your company might be, oh, well, you can do a lot a lot of virtual events because you have less travel time, but this actually increases workload. And then people are sort of thinking, well, I need to, you know, get out blog content. I need to get videos going. I need to stream. I need to spin up a podcast. And all of these things are sort of landing all at once because we aren't doing as much traveling and, and visiting people in person. And so people sort of are feeling a lot of pressure to to be even busier than usual, which is somewhat unexpected, but also interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know what? I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much about a field that I thought I knew a decent amount about, and now I'm coming to realize <laughs> I did not know a lot about it. So I'm thrilled that you, you know, gave us your time you donated your time to us to to educate our community and i thank you for that I, yeah i completely agree i knew pretty much nothing about 
developer advocacy, developer relations going into this. And now I know that there's actually a difference between all of these different types of DevRel. So I, I, I'm really excited for, for this episode to go live just because I think everything that you've provided us information-wise, like we don't usually take notes when we're interviewing people yeah. and we have so many notes <laughs> to just like <laughs> include in our show notes and everything just to kind of expand on this uh, this topic. So yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you again. No, I'm like... There's yeah. another there's another quote I can take from Kim and blast out to Twitter that's so <laughs> insightful. Um, before I turn it over to you, Kelly, to segue into our last bit, I just want to announce that conglomerate was the right word. <laughs> I didn't think it was, but everyone's going to learn what this word means today because it's a great word. But basically, it's a thing consisting of a number of different and distinct parts grouped together. So it's typically used with geology uh, which is how I learned it. It's a coarse-grained rock with different rounded fragments, but it can be used to discuss things that are anti-homogenous. Um, in our case, hopefully the software engineering industry becomes more conglomerate and more differentiated with different um, and more diverse pieces. So that is your word of the day. Uh, with that, Kelly, I'm going to let you segue. That was beautiful. Thank you for teaching me a word. Uh, yeah, so we like to end these episodes with shout outs. So this could be anything from a book you've been reading or a person who published some really cool content or the food you ate yesterday. I mean, it can literally be anything. So Emma, I want you to kick things off with uh, with your shout out. Sure. So my shout out is going to go to a new website slash ebook that I'm working on. I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning and decided I wanted to write an ebook, which is insane. You're so normal. Uh, and so I built a I built a actually I built a Gatsby website this morning <laughs> in just an hour that shows you how easy Gatsby is. Um, and so it's called technicalinterviews.dev. We'll link it in the show notes, but essentially it's just an ebook. I'm gonna be doing a pay what you wish model, so it's accessible for anybody. And it will just contain all of my knowledge about technical interviews. And I've done a lot of them and I failed at a lot of them, but I've also succeeded at quite a few. So that is my shout out for the day. How about you, Kim? I would basically like to shout out to everyone who's sort of getting through this pandemic, but specifically uh, people who are kind of going above and beyond. So I ha I work with Dana Jones, who is an engineering manager for Core at Gatsby. So she manages engineers who work on the open source. And not only is she like doing perf reviews and getting through all of that and, and sort of knocking it out of the park, but she's also making masks um, like on the side and she is also still hiring. So definitely like people who are working really hard at both, you know, helping the, the teammates that they work with and then also helping the general public, like hats off to, to those people for sure. I love that. I am going to give my shout out to my husband because we've been adjusting to working from home together and I love spending all my time with him. I think the most difficult part is the fact that we both have a lot of meetings, it turns out, and we both work in the same room. So we are often, one of us is like walking around with our, our Bluetooth headphones so we're not talking over one or the other. Or like in this case, I'm recording a podcast episode, so my husband is downstairs holding his meetings because I need silence. So I very much appreciate him uh, adjusting with me to this beautiful work from home life and also eating a lot of spaghetti. <laughs> Okay. Did you make yours from scratch? Because I did. I did not because I am on like <laughs> I quarantine level food right now. 
Okay, well, Kim also made hers from scratch, so it looks <laughs> like you really need to up your game here. But in any case, we're out of time for today, unfortunately, so Kelly can't dispute her position. But anyway, <laughs> if you liked this episode, tweet about it. We'd love to read your feedback. Um, this goes for reviews. We read all of our reviews that we get on, on the podcast app. So thank you all for that. We post new podcasts every Monday, so make sure you're subscribed so you get those notifications. And with that, I hope you all have a great day and just stick with it. And thank you again, Kim, for joining us. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.